All righty, Romans chapter 1 this morning. Romans chapter 1. Has it been good to be in the Lord's house today? Has it been fun to be here in a kind of a bright, happy service? Well, now I would encourage you to, uh, as giddy as we might be and as fired up as we might be, let's kind of calm ourselves down a little bit and think about God's Word. Because it is God's Word. Romans chapter 1 this morning, I just want to read two verses, verses 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Pray with me. Father, we're so thankful for the privilege now of all that we've experienced today, but we're thankful also that we can now look at your word. Dear God, how could we say thank you enough for this book, this Bible, your word? I'm so thankful for it. And I pray today as we look at just two verses that, Father, you'll speak. You'll fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to not think of anything, say anything that I ought not today. Help me, Lord, to only say the things I should and say them boldly and and loudly and, and everything that needs to be said. And so guide and direct. Help us, Lord, to be hearers as well. Father, if there are those here today who need to hear the gospel for the first time and respond to it, I pray they would. And if there are Christians here today who need to think about some of these other things, I pray too that they would. So guide and direct, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been studying the book of Romans for the last couple of weeks. I think this is the third uh, message that we've preached here in Romans. And we've already learned that the book of Romans is about the gospel. I think we've probably hammered that pretty much throughout the, the preceding studies. The word gospel is a key word in the letter, and it starts with Paul's very first sentence when he opens the book. Chapter 1, verse number 1, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And then we saw it again in verse number 9, and we saw it again in verse number 15. So the gospel is a key word throughout this book of Romans. Well, we come now today to what I think are the key verses of the entire book. I don't know if I've mentioned that or not prior to this, but if I didn't, I'm mentioning it now. Verses 16 and 17 are the key verses to the book of Romans. You ought to circle them in your Bible and write the little word key beside it or a star or something. Because these verses describe everything that the Apostle Paul is going to talk about throughout the rest of this book. Uh, The gospel. But... Even as I say that, I think to myself, well, we ought to stop and ask, do we know what the word gospel means? I know we've probably talked about it the last couple of times, but, uh, you know, it is one of those examples of Christian speak. It is one of those words that we throw out that someone who might walk in here who has never heard from the Bible before might not know what it means. And so uh, we're going to, from time to time, have to make sure we do. If we're going to talk about the gospel a lot, we've got to talk about what the gospel means. And the gospel means good news. That's all the word means. Good news. It is news. We're going to see that it's news about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's news about a fact. First Corinthians chapter 15, you can go and see that the gospel is the news about the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his appearance to many. It's news about our need of a savior. It's news about the opportunity of the savior. It's news about a gift. And as Isaiah chapter 53 says, it's unbelievable news. Who hath believed our report? It's just unbelievable news. And so, these two verses that we're going to look at today talk about the gospel, and they are the key verses to the book of Romans. And so I just want to spend a few minutes this morning. I know you probably smell food. Does anybody smell food this morning? Put it out of your mind. For the next 20 minutes or so, 
And let's, uh, let's look at these two verses and see if we can't learn something from them today. And as we look at them, I'm just going to pull out a few phrases and talk about the phrases and kind of dissect these verses. The first phrase I want to talk about is the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I don't think we can rightly consider the gospel in any way, shape, or form without recognizing that it is first and foremost news about a person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. At Christmas time every year, we hear this quaint little saying, don't we? Jesus is the reason for the season. How many of you have heard that? We've all heard that. We probably have a little, uh, you know, a little thing on our fridge or something like that that says Jesus is the reason for the season. And it's good. It's a useful reminder. We ought to think about that at Christmas time. But I think also we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is the center of the gospel. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So often when Paul would mention this gospel, this news, that's the way he would describe it. The gospel of Christ. When he wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1, he said, There are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Later in Romans, we'll get to chapter 15 and we'll see him say this, I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. To the Corinthians, he said, What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. And so over and over, we see this. And certainly we cannot read our Bibles, we cannot read our New Testaments without seeing this truth. The gospel is good news about a person. We take the person out and there is no good news. We take the person out, there is no gospel. It's about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what one man said about that. He said, first we recollect that this gospel, this glad tidings, is in its essence Jesus Christ. It is supremely he, not it. Person, not theory. Or rather, it is authentic and eternal theory in vital and eternal connection everywhere with a person. The gospel of Christ. Well, let's look at another phrase. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. The power of God to salvation. Every Wednesday evening of the world, we gather here and we pray in this church. And one of the things that we always pray for is for people to be saved. We name people that we think of that are not believers, and we pray for them. And then we're encouraged to go out from that place and share the news, share the gospel with them, that they might be saved. Every Sunday morning after I preach, we give an altar call every single time, asking and pleading that if there's anybody here unsaved, they would trust Christ before it's too late. We do these things. But what is it that saves the lost? Is it the eloquence of the preacher? If so, we're in trouble. Is it the persuasive arguments of the soul winner? No. It's not any of those things. According to Paul here, the gospel message is itself the power of God to salvation. God uses us soul winners. God uses us to share. But the power is in the gospel itself. The power is in the message. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. The power of God. We ought to let that truth sink down into our ears this morning. Make us better soul winners. Make us better witnesses. When we recognize that the results aren't up to us, we just share the gospel. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 13 when he told the parable of the sower and the soils. Remember, he talked about the sower goes out to soul, and the seed is the word of God. He flings the seed, and the sower has absolutely no, no control over what seed grows and what doesn't. That's what we're supposed to be doing, flinging the seed. 
which is the gospel, the word of God, the power. Sow it and leave the results to God. We would be so much better soul winners if we would just get hold of that dynamite truth. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Proclaim it. That's all we need to do. You know, it worked when Jesus first shared it. It worked then. It worked when Peter preached it on Pentecost. It worked when Paul preached it across the land. It worked when Stephen faithfully shared it as the stones rained upon his martyr's head. It worked when Philip shared it in the middle of nowhere with the Ethiopian eunuch. It worked down through the ages when when evangelists and pastors stood in pulpits and thundered the gospel and people were saved by the thousands. And it works still. It works in lands where communism would strive to strike it out. It still works. People are still flocking to, to the altar and being saved when the gospel is preached. It works in those dark places of this world where evil Islam threatens beheading for believing. And yet people choose believing because the gospel works. It works in Randolph. It works in Rootstown. It works in Atwater. It works in Mogador. It works everywhere. The gospel works. It is the power of God to salvation. I read a story by John Stott. John Stott told this uh, about something that took place in 1958, and I just want to read this to you. It said he was leading a university outreach in Sydney, Australia. And he said the day before the final meeting, he received word that his father had just passed away. And in addition to that terrible news, to that grief, Stott was also starting to lose his voice. And so here's how he described the final day of the outreach. He said this, quote, he said it was already late afternoon within a few hours of the final meeting of the mission. And so I didn't feel like I could back away at that time. I went to the great hall and asked a few students to gather around me. I asked one of them to read Second Corinthians, chapter 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. A student read those verses, and then I asked them to lay hands on me and pray that those verses might be true in my own experience. When time came for me to give my address, I preached on the broad and narrow ways from Matthew chapter 7. I had to get within half an inch of the microphone, and I croaked the gospel like a raven. I couldn't exert my personality. I couldn't move. I couldn't use any inflections in my voice. voice. I croaked the gospel in monotone. And then when the time came to give the invitation, there was an immediate response, larger than any other meeting during the mission as students came flocking forward. I've been to Australia about ten times since 1958, and on every occasion somebody has come up to me and said, Do you remember that final meeting in the university in the Great Hall? And I jolly well do, I would reply. And they would say, I was converted that night. Stott concludes, The Holy Spirit takes our human words, spoken in great weakness and frailty, and He carries them home with power to the mind, the heart, the conscience, and the will of the hearers in such a way that they see and believe. The gospel works. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. Last evening, I sat with uh, the family of uh, Beth's aunt who passed away just just this past couple days ago. And I was listening to various stories as, you know, they were sharing uh, about Aunt Louise's life. And we were thinking about the funeral. And Beth's cousin Sandy told a story, which which I doubt I will ever forget. She told how Aunt Louise was a Lutheran. She had been raised in a Lutheran church. And all of her life she'd been Lutheran. And she went to Lutheran church because that's what she'd always done. All of her life she went to Lutheran church. One day Sandy 
uh, was invited to a Bible study. And she went and attended the Bible study. And she came back from the Bible study and began to share with her mom what she had heard. And, and they were studying the book of Romans in the Bible study. Well, later down the road, as they reexamined this, this situation, they realized neither one of them were saved at the time. Louise was not saved and neither was Sandy. But Sandy would come home from this Bible study and share what she had learned in the Bible study with her mom. Her mom, being a staunch Lutheran, was very, very concerned. Thought that maybe she was attending a cult or something. And was trying to keep her from, from doing this. But Sandy perse- per- persevered. She went. She loved the Bible study. She would hear things. She'd come home. She'd share them with her mom. And, you know, the amazing thing is that God used that. And both of them, neither of whom were saved at the time, both of them ended up trusting Christ as a result of the gospel that was being shared by someone who wasn't even saved. It even works when the person who's delivering it is not a believer. The power is not in the person. The power is in the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, even when shared by one who hadn't yet accepted it herself. That just amazes me. Well, another, another phrase. Let's look at that phrase, for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And we don't want to skip that one. That one's pretty important. It's, 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 it's just something that we have to recognize. You have to believe it. You have to believe it. You have to believe it. One day, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison for nothing other than the fact that they were believers because of their faith. And while they were in there, they sang. I'm sure they were singing the gospel. While they were in there, they prayed. I'm sure the gospel was part of that as well. And while they were singing and praying, a miracle occurred. God caused an earthquake which shook the prison doors open and shook the manacles right off of their hands. The jailer had been hearing and seeing this. <laughs> he had heard it all. It said he was shaken to his very core. And we read in Acts chapter 16 that he brought them out, Paul and Silas, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. The gospel was preached. It had power. He had to believe. He had to believe it. One day Philip preached the gospel to a man out in the middle of nowhere. They're out in the middle of nowhere. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. And yet the gospel worked. The man heard it, and he wanted to respond, and he said so to Philip. And you know what Philip said to him? He said, you need to believe with all of your heart. And he did, and he was saved, and he was baptized. The gospel was preached. It has power, but you have to believe. You have to believe it. If you do, the power of God is applied to you, and you're saved. If you don't, you die in your sins, lost, and spend eternity in hell. Listen to what the Bible says about that. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. You have to believe. Then there's another phrase here. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I don't think I'm going to say very much about this because I think it's a little bit redundant with that last point. It's talking about faith. It's talking about belief. And Paul's going to develop all these things more as we go through this 
letter anyway. But I did want to mention that little phrase, faith to faith. I think that's an important phrase. I think it bears mentioning. Because what he's saying there is that everything we're talking about is a matter of faith. Everything. Beginning to end. Start to finish. Faith. We are saved by faith, we are kept by faith, we live by faith, we die in faith, and we will spend eternity with Christ in glory because of faith. And maybe you see that a little bit more clearly if I read those two verses to you in a different translation. Because faith to faith maybe doesn't say it as clearly as as one of these. How about uh, the way it's rendered in the New Living Translation? I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Did you get that? It is accomplished from start to finish by faith. From faith to faith. The NIV says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's all a matter of faith. And faith is simply believing. And faith is simply trusting. So from faith to faith. Well, let me conclude this morning. And let me conclude this morning by taking aim at the same two groups that the Apostle Paul is aiming at here. And if you're reading these verses, the first thing you're probably going to say is Jews and Gentiles. Is that what you're talking about? Jews and Gentiles? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't think Paul is aiming this just at Jews and Gentiles. I think he included those two right there. Just simply to remind us that this thing is universal. All people everywhere. The gospel works with all of them. No, I don't think that's the two types of people that Paul had in mind. I think he had the same two types of people in mind that he always had in mind. The lost and the saved. That's the only two types of people there were. In Rome. That's the only two types of people there are anywhere. That's the only two types of people there have ever been. The lost and the saved. And so let me say something this morning to those of you who might be in that first group. You might not like to think of yourself as lost, but if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how the Bible describes you. You're lost. And so let me ask you this morning, do you believe these things? Do you believe these things. You see, here's the deal. You might not like it, but it's true. You've now heard the gospel. And you're never going to be able to stand before God and say, I never didn't know. You've heard it. And now the question is, do you believe it? How I pray you would. How I pray you would believe it and receive it. And if you would do that, it would be the power of God in your life and it would save your soul. You can be one of the saved. You can be one of the believers. You can be one of the family of God. You could be one of the born of the again, one of the eternal living. But only if you believe. Do you believe? And then let me say something to the other group. The ones who would say, yes, we have trusted Christ, been saved. You may have noticed this morning that there was one particular phrase in our verses that I left out. Did you notice that? You didn't notice that? Those first few words, I am not ashamed. Did you notice that? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
That's an interesting statement, don't you think? Who would have thought that Paul would even harbor such a thought? Paul would have to even consider being ashamed of Christ. And yet I think his mention of it here betrays a little bit of his struggle with it. And it's not the only mention. This idea of shame about Christ, shame about the gospel, it's all throughout the New Testament. Second Timothy chapter 1, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory, and then his fathers and of the holy angels. Seems to be something that's all throughout the New Testament. And do we have a better example of it anywhere than the infamous denial of the Lord by Peter himself? Ashamed. Why? Why would anybody be ashamed of Jesus? How could it possibly be? There's never been a better friend. There's never been a more loving brother or a stronger bodyguard. There's never been a more trustworthy confidant or a greater example, an abler healer, a more present help, a greater king, a more perfect, holy, and just God than Jesus. Why would anybody, how could anyone who knew him be ashamed of him? How could Paul harbor such a thought? How could Peter? Well, before we get up on our high horse of judgment against these guys, let's turn the searchlight on ourselves for just a minute. Let's remember that time you sat at breakfast and felt the Holy Spirit nudge you to hand the waitress a tract. That ever happened? And the tract was still in your pocket when you left. Or how about when you found yourself suddenly alone with that very person you've prayed God would save? Over and over in prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And prayed and prayed and prayed. And now all of a sudden you find yourself alone with them. The opportunity's there. You feel the Holy Spirit nudging you. Silence. Ashamed? What about when calls for testimonies ring out and you have nothing to say about the glorious Savior whose blood ran down the cross for you? How can that be? Ashamed? What of Walter calls when the Holy Spirit prompts you? You know you ought to step out. You know you need to come and, 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 and let people know that the Lord is working in your life. You refuse to budge. Ashamed? What of times when one of the current spate of anti-God subjects comes up at work? You're standing at the water cooler and somebody starts talking about evolution versus creation and making fun of God. Or a homosexual marriage. Or any of the other things that God has said He hates. And you stand there silently. Ashamed? You know, we could go on and on with this, couldn't we? But it's clear, isn't it? We all struggle with this. The Apostle Paul struggled with it. Peter struggled with it. And if it was an issue for a giant like Paul or a titan like Peter, then it certainly ought to be considered something we need to be careful of as mere mortals like Bill Johnson. Paul said, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. And he could say that because he knew the gospel, because he believed the gospel, because he had experienced the fact that that gospel about which his natural inclination would be shamed was the very power of a limitless God. He saw it. He believed it. 
And rather than being ashamed of it, he proclaimed it. It was on his lips everywhere he went. Brothers and sisters, those in that second group, let's think about this this morning. Let us determine not to hesitate. Let us determine not to hold back, not to allow that sinful tendency which we all struggle with to stop us. And let us boldly sow the seed. The time is so short. Let us sow the seed that is the gospel and watch in awe as God's power does its thing. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith.